It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You know what I want. <laughs> Not Samsung, Craig. Not Samsung. No, I want to Hey, that's really bad. The Raptors lose 119 to 106 to the New York Knicks at home. I'm not going to dress this one up for anybody. Let me give you the real reason why they lost. The quick, the quick stuff. They shot six of 32 from downtown. The Knicks, okay, a lot better. 16 of 36. If you give up 30 points, a 30-point deficit to the opponent from the three-point line, you're not going to win the game. And especially if you're dedicating almost as many attempts to your own shots and still having that deficit, it's a tough scene. Basically, everybody shot super poorly, horribly, except for Scotty Barnes. Uh, Pascal, Jakob, um, well, Pascal mostly was able to provide a little bit more of a scoring punch as a driver, as a guy working in the mid-range to help supplement Scotty's game. But overall in this game, it's uh, it's tough. Play McGee right off the start says Scotty deserved an extra three assists in the first half. If you know, you know. He certainly did. There was the one to Chris Boucher that I remember particularly where he saw that Hartenstein was trying to come up to recover in pseudo-transition and he immediately, because Scotty reads the lanes on the floor so well, he immediately puts himself in front of Hartenstein, waits for the Knicks defense to settle and separate, and then passes to Boucher, who ended up missing the shot, uh, sadly. But it's that type of uh, ability to read the open court, use his body and a live dribble to allow other players to you know, walk themselves open or run themselves open. And um, he deserved an assist on that one for sure. But yeah, Scotty... He definitely could have come away in this game with maybe seven or eight assists. Pascal also could have come away with, you know, six or seven probably. These guys were collapsing the defense, passing out. And the Raptors, I can walk it through. Pascal went 0 for 4 from 3. One of them looked close. That's not good. That's not good at all. Jakob obviously didn't take any. OG is 1 for 6. Dennis is 1 for 6. Gary's 0 for 1. And Gary also missed his only free throw. Uh, Precious is 0 for 1. Malachi 0 for 1. Jalen McDaniels 0 for 2. Chris Boucher hit 1, but he took 4. Uh, for anybody who's interested, I have diagrammed some of the Raptors' ATOs. So if you want to see what's happening on some of the plays that work, uh, their after timeout plays, I'll be talking about those on the podcast in a little bit. But yeah, this one isn't too complicated. I mostly just want to talk about how good Scotty was. Pascal, I thought, was really good driving the ball today, unfortunately. Uh, missed a couple layups. The one put back, uh, really great slide under him that Jalen Brunson had on that charge, uh, and that would have been an end one. It was just sometimes a guy slides in. You've picked up your dribble because there's so much, you know, everybody's crowded in the paint. You're trying to get to the spot, pick it up quickly, beat guys to the glass because he did get pinned once, and he slid under him. That's tough, but... Pascal, outside of the missed threes, I think it's, uh, it's a pretty good process game for Pascal. Uh, a couple turnovers that weren't so good, though, you know, kind of in pseudo transition. His transition decision making as the ball handler hasn't been very good over the past maybe two, three games. There's been some unforced turnovers and um, he, he's given up a couple like easy plays that should be two points it, tonight. I didn't really think that was the case. But in past games, yes. And he definitely turning the ball over when you have a man advantage. That's not something you want to do at all. Big task at hand, says Nick Pride. Hell yeah, man. Your team looked awesome tonight. If you get like 44% shooting, Dante DiVincenzo goes 7 for 9. Josh Hart goes 3 of 4. Jalen, 3 of 8. And Jalen just like, I know he was only 9 of 21 tonight. But really, a lot of his shot making in the mid-range was so impressive. Uh, Julius Randle, I didn't really like the Raptors' response to his post-ups, 
I thought that they shouldn't have been overloading, but they did. And, you know, Julius Randle, like, he didn't really force a lot of turnovers. He was able to keep his alive dribble. He was able to pivot and swerve until he got to a point where, okay, there's a there's a, an opportunity for me to find a shooter. Obviously, we see in this game, there's a lot of shots that went down. 16 threes is a very healthy amount. And uh, the Knicks, they, they're well-equipped. They're a good defense, obviously. They've been a good team this year. They've been a good team for a couple of years or, you know, a few years at this point now. Very dependable defensively. They've been very dependable. Um, Julius Randle, I know people have qualms about him as like the star leading you forward, but he's a positive player most games, night in, night out. He can certainly during the regular season, I know we're waiting to see him have like a big series or something. He can guide the Knicks to a lot of stuff. And in this game, his gravity on a lot of those post-ups was really, really impressive. Um, Jim says Darko had by far his worst game of all time. Inexcusable not using auto. I the auto stuff is kind of weird. I wasn't at the game tonight as Fandiar Berhaney was using the Raptors Republic credential, so hell yeah, S out there. Um, but I I suppose the next practice I'm at, I will have to ask about auto. Just kind of like, why doesn't auto figure into the rotation more often? Is he not feeling up to snuff? What's what's the reason for this? Because when he's in, typically good things happen, and he can shoot the ball. He's a plus rebounder. He's positionally sound on defense. He has size. He can put the ball on the floor from point A to point B, not really as a dynamic driver, but just as a means to get around. So not having him play is odd. Also, we got, you know, a fair amount of OG plus bench, which I know at the end of this game, you say, well, we kept Pascal under 34 minutes. We kept OG at 27. You know, Jakob plays 20, like 28. I, Dennis plays 37, Scotty almost 37. It's like, I don't know what had to happen as far as the rotations, but I was pretty shocked to see that when the game was hanging in the balance, they went to an OG plus bench unit. They lost a really quick little stretch of play by five. Um, part of what ended up being a 10-0 run for the Knicks to close out the third quarter. And this wasn't like, tough shots that the Knicks were making. It was like collapses on defense. This was really difficult. Uh, it was a difficult look for the Raptors. They did a terrible job defending in that. And obviously, I, OG as the offensive hub, trying to guide guys like Flynn, Achua, Jalen McDaniels, Boucher, that's not going to cut it. I mean, it's it's never going to cut it. Um, Summer Lowe says Knicks have a better team, not even close. I mean, the Knicks... If you beat the other team from the three-point line by 30 points, you're going to be the better team that night. Uh, the Knicks, I, if you had asked me at the start of the season, I think when I talked to Ariel Pacheco for the Outside Looking In episode of Knicks and Raptors, I think we both agreed that the Knicks were going to have a better year record-wise than the Raptors. Uh, and yeah, I, I think they'll end up there. Now, game to game, could they be close? Certainly was uh the worst shooting night of the Raptors season so far. I think I think this one was worse than what happened against Chicago early on in the season. I can't remember if that one was like 17% or 21%. Uh the Raptors can't sustain that obviously. And uh the Knicks going 16 to 36. It's just too much. I think that the Raptors did a lot of good stuff. Scotty had a massive game. Uh Pascal even though the stat line I think is underwhelming to some degree. I think Pascal's process as a driver to keep punching the gaps, keep collapsing the defense, and to keep challenging the rim protection, whether it's Mitchell Robinson or the, the help side stuff that comes in the form of like, maybe it's Quentin Grimes, maybe it's Josh Hart, maybe it's Hartenstein, maybe it's Julius Randle, just to keep going back there and going up and doing it. And the same thing with Scotty, except to a way more impressive degree, because Scotty you know, the difference is about eight points in their stat line. And there's a difference from the three point line, which is about nine points. Scotty hit three of them, 43% on the night, Pascal 0 for 4. And also Scotty was tremendous in transition. Pascal's typically been tremendous finishing in transition this season. Uh, like I talked about just a couple minutes ago, he's been maybe, you know, a little bit sloppy as far as decision making. Uh, that Scotty had a couple turnovers like that, I believe, in the open court, but those were his only two. And here's the thing, man, he's creating like these giant swaths of space for his teammates. And he's so good in transition. 
and he gives you so many opportunities that you kind of just have to take some of the mistakes in stride because he's typically doing such a good job. The Raptors are a really impressive team in transition off of live rebounds as far as points per possession go, and that is almost solely responsible. That's that's Scotty Barnes. Uh, Scotty scored in the half court. He scored on the little get actions for the three-point plays. He scored getting to the rim. He scored in transition. He scored on an offensive rebound. Uh, it's, you know, being big and in motion, uh, using your physicality to overwhelm, and then, you know, accentuating that or complementing that, I should say, with a, a three of seven performance from the three-point line. Unfortunately, the rest of the team combined for three. So this is kind of the way it shakes out. The Raptors defense, I thought for they had good spurts. Obviously, that fell apart. Some of the transition stuff late obviously did not work out very well. The half court, some of these, some of the times that they were collapsing, like especially when a guy's driving baseline and they're sending so much help baseline. And I understand because the Knicks have guys who can hang around the rim like Hartenstein or Mitchell Robinson or Julius Randle, and you really want to protect against those laydowns but they're not doing a good job of protecting against the shooters on the back end of these plays. So they overload, whether it's, you know, shading really hard to a baseline drive, not really using the baseline as another defender. And also, as I mentioned at the start, overloading too often, I think, on Julius Randle, as far as the post-ups, collapsing too far in, not being able to recover out to shooters. And then you have this big, big performance. As far as, like, the half-court scoring in this game, huge, huge disparity. The Knicks... 108.5. Uh, if that, if they were able to emulate that every single game, they would have the best half court offense in the NBA. The Raptors, 77.1. It's their worst performance in the half court in some time. And like, that's tough. You don't want to do that. And they've been trending in the right direction. I still think they are overall. They're not going to shoot this poorly from three every night. I think they're what, 34.2% coming into this game. Obviously, they're going to drop into the 33s after this game. You shoot 18%. That's what's going to happen. But the Raptors, largely because of Scotty, they had a major night in transition. 153 points per under possessions. The frequency was high. The points per possession was high. Scotty was doing a fantastic job. And Scotty and Pascal. And this is why like, I think Scotty and Pascal both played excellent games. Uh, Scotty obviously is the bigger uh, name here, the bigger performance. Scotty was better, uh, but both had strong defensive performances. Scotty better, once again. Um, both had strong offensive performances. Scotty better, once again. But when the Raptors take 15 more shots at the rim in this game than the Knicks, it's because of those two guys really driving and collapsing the paint and also being able to create these chasms of space for a guy like Yaka Pertle so they can lay it down to him. Okay, let's talk about. The plays. Okay, here we go. Ready? So I got asked about uh, somebody, their name on Twitter, I think is Echet, which is stop in French. Uh, I, I grew up, our, my school was really poor. So we didn't even have, I know in Canada, you're supposed to learn French in school. I think that's like a law. Uh, we didn't. So Echet on Twitter asked me if I would diagram uh, Iverson Loop. So I have Iverson Loop and I also have the, um, Spain leak that the Raptors ran. So bear with me. Okay, we're going to test something out. I'm going to leave the mic on the table and everybody in chat, let me know if it sounds okay. I think it should sound fine, but I need my hands free to diagram this. I also need a mic stand, obviously. Um, and to the people listening on the podcast app, uh, thanks for indulging. I'll try and be very descriptive with my words. Okay. Yes, I do need a board, Andre. Okay, here we go. Okay, so this is Iverson Loop. This right here, okay, everything's flipped. This is a, what is that? A G? Who's a G? Oh, Gary. Okay, so this is Gary, right? This is Jakob. That's Pascal. This is OG. This is Dennis. These two screeners on the edge of the paint on both sides, What what's happening there? This is the paint right there. OG is going to cut across the top and loop around. And Gary, before this happens, filters from this side to this side, thus dragging somebody, creating confusion here. OG cuts around. Dennis passes to Jakob here. And as OG clears, he loops towards the paint and they got a lob and OG 
had a lob. He just flubbed it. It's a good play. They've scored on it. It's actually been their most popular um, ATO this season. They've gotten lots of good looks out of it. Basically, what happened is Pascal didn't set the screen immediately. RJ Barrett was trailing OG. He got caught because Pascal stepped up into the screen. Randall was hanging around here off of Jakob, and he didn't notice what was happening, so he couldn't blow up the play, and then OG comes clear. Okay, that's one. Now we've got Spain leak. Okay, so this one is really fun and has a lot more moving parts in this one. So here we have Scotty. Okay, this is an ATO. So OG is in the corner uh, on the sideline. He inbounds. Who does he inbound to? Dennis, who comes off of this screen from Pascal right here. So Dennis filters through above the break, gets the ball from OG in the corner. At the same time, Scotty comes from the other side to set a screen for Dennis. Then OG goes behind and sets a screen on the big guarding Scotty's man. This is the Spain pick and roll. It includes the back screen. That's what's happening. Now, because the Raptors love their high-low action, they love their north-south passes, what happens is they're going to lift Jakob so that they can get an angle at a, a wrinkle to this play, a lift from Jakob instead of just Spain leak, and they're going to try and get a high-low pass from Jakob to Scotty. Pascal filters out to the corner from here to here to make sure he's not in the way. Now, Jakob comes up, Dennis passes Jakob the ball right here, Scotty and OG are currently being defended. They overload on Scotty because of the new angle for the high-low pass. OG comes wide open on the three-point line, and Jakob passes it to him for a wide-open three. Those are the two ATOs. Very good plays. Um, I, I love those plays. Uh, they're going to have a lot of success running those this season. They have had success running them so far this season. And enjoyable stuff. I need a whiteboard, though. Uh, the little golden Sharpie on the notebook, uh, not super good. But it is uh, a remnant from uh, the the podcast episode we don't talk about where I was at um, TMU and they gave me a little notepad for coming out to, to talk and hang out. So anyway, the Raptors in this game, basically they, they did a lot of interesting things. Uh, they were able to get to the rim a bunch. They were very aggressive. They played the style that they needed to, I thought. But here's the thing, the big thing. You don't shoot the ball well enough, you're not going to win. The Raptors, they got enough of their own offensive rebounds. They were you know, efficient enough on the putbacks. They made hay when the sun was shining in transition. They didn't hit any jumpers. That's tough, you know? 17.2%. If you don't count the garbage time from three, uh, 20% on their corner threes, 16% on the above the break threes. Sure. They, they shoot well from the mid range in this game uh, because of Pascal and Scotty. And they're not that bad at the rim considering how much size that the Knicks have, but it's just, it's a tough game. I was really impressed by those two driving them to the rim, but it's just tough, man, because you can try and really dive into like what what is a team doing to stop another team? What what are they running? Is it compelling? And in this game, I think that the Raptors did a ton of important stuff. I think that the Raptors played the right way for so much of it. The thing that let them down, obviously, is that they didn't shoot well. And, you know, as I talked about before, they didn't recover out well enough to shooters. And I think they overloaded on some of the Knicks uh, offensive talents that the Raptors should be able to handle in isolation one on one. And they kind of kowtowed to that. And you can't. And it is about that. Uh, that simple. Playa McGee says, did you guys see when Kayla asked Masai about direction during the game? I didn't see that, but I heard tell about that. And I suspect... I don't know. I've I've asked Masai a couple of questions about intentionality and the future of the team and kind of, you know, what the Raptors have been doing as far as process. And it's tough to pin him down. He certainly doesn't have to ever give a clear answer or a concise answer or anything like that. Um, you you want to 
you know, have people like you want to be able to speak to your fans. You want to be able to speak to the fan base, have them enjoy you, sing your praises. You want to be able to give good answers. But as far as like actually being held accountable, uh, nobody, nobody can do it. You know, they don't have to tell us the machinations of what's going on. They don't have to say anything. But uh, the team is now what? Uh, I guess 20 games in nine and 11. It's uh, it's not so great. It's uh, an underwhelming season a little bit to this degree. Uh, thank goodness for Scotty Barnes being so fantastic. If Scotty wasn't popping off the way that he is, I mean, NBA.com probably has his updated statistics at this point. 19.6 points, 9.1 rebounds, 5.5 assists. This is really, really impressive stuff. And if we go like, what's his true shooting percentage on the season? 55%. So he's gotten back to the efficiency of his rookie season where he was doing hardly any self-creation. So usually your efficiency takes a dip as you become more responsible for your own shots, your own looks. Um, Scotty was a guy in his rookie season who scored almost exclusively on cuts, on offensive rebounds, and in transition. That's Those are big, meaty possessions for him to finish on. So the fact that he's taking like off-the-dribble stuff, way more threes, He's responsible for more of his drives being coming to fruition, and he's reached that same level of efficiency while also, for my money, being one of the best front court playmakers in the NBA, and I think one of the three, five best transition playmakers in the NBA. These are huge, huge steps, and not to mention, of course, uh, the defense, which has been awesome. I have a piece coming out tomorrow uh, on RaptorsRepublic.com talking about his switch in role defensively, the Raptors start to the season overall, and there's some piggybacking off of Lewis Atzman's really great piece on the Raptors offense, what's changed, what they do differently. It's it's really into the weeds. It's got all the numbers and all the film you could really ever want if you want to go read that, raptorsrepublic.com. You will need a subscription, though, for all the people who are subscribed. Thank you very much. While I'm banging the drum of like, hey, I do work, uh like the video because that's good you guys like me you like me talking help spread the word to other people and yeah so at this point scotty is shooting 38 percent from three on the season on five attempts per game this is a guy who took three a game last season at 28 percent he's also taking way more pull-up attempts he he's been awesome uh steelman 65 says dennis is a big positive as well dennis is a big positive i know that like, it's, it's the same thing. People have qualms about Dennis's usage, and certainly. Um, I, I hope that Dennis's usage takes a dip over the course of the season. That's what I hope for, truly. But I think he's a mid-level exception guard. A mid-level exception guard in an NBA that is, if you don't have a lead guard who's like all-star or all-NBA, it's really tough to be an elite-level team. Dennis is coming out every night and trying to compete with these guys across from him. Like Jalen Brunson has a shot at an all-star game and Schroeder comes out, busts his ass, tries to do his best. And I think that Schroeder, his shooting has really come back down to earth and which makes sense. He wasn't always going to be a 40% shooter, especially given that they're funneling so many shots into his hands now and that he has to be a release valve of some sort. And like, He's not going to give you these big, healthy, wonderful, you know, pick and roll numbers. The pick and roll isn't super, super effective. But, you know, I think Dennis has been good. The point of attack defense, I've been impressed with a lot of it. The closeouts, especially impressed with it. Uh, he's been really effective as a one help, one pass away help defender. Gets a little bit farther than that. He can get a little bit spacey and lose guys. But I think Dennis just a huge positive overall. tonight. Uh, he had a couple nice pick and roll possessions, uh, but it's just he he can't really lead an offense. He's at, he's had like two games this season where Dennis has been like, I'll take a bunch of possessions and lead us to efficient outcomes over and over again. Uh, it has to be Scotty and Pascal. That's the that's just how it has to be. Um, some of the high low stuff where they're building out actions. You know, what I diagrammed over here, some of that is built around Jakob's passing, and that's good. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, you can't just rest it on Dennis's shoulders. And Dennis has big, wide shoulders to be rested on. And he, I think he's done a commendable job in the interim 
but you know he's not the future of the point guard position for the Raptors. I think he's done a really good job. His teammates like him. The coaching staff likes him. He's really ingratiated himself with the Raptors fan base, and I like I just have to be happy with Dennis at this point, honestly. Um, Stevie says, I think his early usage is Darko just having trust in him while he learns what everyone else can do. I, I, that is certainly, I, you know, I've been beating this drum after, man, it must be like every single game that Darko likes having Malachi out there because he likes having a guard move the Raptors through their actions quickly, you know, so you can get to the secondary action with 11 or 12 seconds on the shot clock instead of seven or eight. It makes a difference because then the third action it's maybe a guy is getting a shot up out of the corner with five or six seconds on the clock instead of two or three. That means that he can pump, draw a closeout, and put the ball down for a laydown or a layup, right? This kind of stuff, getting the offense into earlier actions. Dennis moves them through things quicker than Pascal and Scotty do. So does Malachi. They're less effective. Like, they're certainly less effective. They can't create the advantages that Pascal and Scotty do, but you have to be able to move through your offense. And the Raptors, the offense is in a healthier place process-wise than it was last season, even if by the numbers it's a fair bit worse. Them's the breaks. It's a work in progress. And also, Fred is getting paid $40 million. You're getting a facsimile of sorts in Dennis for a mid-level exception. They they made the right decision there. This is these are the breaks. You know, it's tough to build a really good NBA offense without shooting. They shot 18% tonight. Everyone keep that in mind. Um, from Geronimo Stilton, why does OG get to skate on night like this? You can't pay this guy that much money. So I I do I'm in the camp that you pay OG. Like you really you're in a position where you pay OG to keep him. Now, of course. OG has the agency to do whatever he pleases. He will be an unrestricted free agent. He's not going to sign an extension because he's going to make more than the extension that the Raptors are eligible to give him. And OG will be, everybody's at the whim. He'll, he maybe gets an offer and says, Raptors, you, you have to match this and I'll come back and I'll be there. And it's Scotty and I, you know, we are con- we're signed for a long time together. We're the core two, and we see what gets built around that. But also, he he could just he could take less to leave the Raptors. He could take more to leave the Raptors. He could just want to leave the Raptors. It, it's all completely up to him. Uh, but the Raptors, from the Raptors' point of view, you give OG what he's being offered elsewhere. Like you, you don't undercut it. He's and I know, like you know, Geronimo Stilton said. OG was really bad tonight. In fact, like he had a couple nice possessions on Randall, but over and like two nice possessions on on Brunson. But I didn't actually think this was a very good OG defensive game. Not to like pile on him. He's been fantastic for a lot of this season, but tonight was one of his worst games of the season, to be sure. He he couldn't shoot a lick. He couldn't create a lick. The Raptors asked him to carry a lineup on a night where he was playing bad. It went really poorly. And yeah, he didn't have his best. Um, he didn't have his best shooting game or or defensive game. But you got to pay OG, man. I think he fits extremely well next to Scotty. I think that he is, for the most part, a really good shooter, a tremendous cutter, a guy who can finish at the rim. He is an unbelievable weapon to wield defensively, and all that stuff is really good. Uh, you got to try from the Raptors' point of view. OG can do whatever he wants, but from the Raptors' point of view, you got to pay OG, in my opinion. From Simon Amorim, where do you see Scotty's shooting ending up at the end of this year if the shot profile doesn't change too much? The two of five or three for seven shooting games seem so common now. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, they are common. And like he airballs every once in a while, but a lot of his misses, they touch a lot of the rim before they get out of there. You know, like I don't want to dump on Pascal too much, but a lot of Pascal's misses, it doesn't have a shot, you know? And technically, from the moment it leaves your fingers, a, a shot is going in or out. There's nothing really, I don't know if the wind is going to change it. Maybe we need John Brinkus and sports science to figure that out. I'm sure he's done some sort of thing on that. But uh, Scotty gets close on his misses. He has very encouraging misses. He has eliminated a lot of his dip. He has a higher pickup point. He's more direct to his weight transfer. His legs are more involved. He has just made a hell of a progression as a, a shooter. And the two for five, three for seven stuff, Scotty, I would have, if you told me Scotty was making the jump to like 
on four attempts a game from downtown, I would have been like, wow, that's great. Big jump. Hell yeah. Uh, the fact that he's at 38 on five attempts with like catch and shoot being good. Yes. But also that he's shooting in motion sometimes also that there's some pull up stuff there. Uh, he's been absolutely incredible. He's also hitting his mid range shots too, right? He's been unbelievable. The, the jumper, hell yeah to Scotty, any player, you know, we talk about development. We talk about coaches. We talk about what are they teaching the player? And that's important. And, you know, you players don't know oftentimes as much as a coach about development, but still all of the work and development is still dependent on the player. They just have to be guided properly. And even if you don't guide a player properly, that player can still work to get themselves to improve. So Scotty, regardless of anything that's happened development wise from the Raptor side of things, personal trainer side of things, talks about anything. The guy has just worked and worked and worked, obviously. You can see the mechanical changes in his jumper, and the outcome is tremendous. Uh, in this game, it's quite obvious. We, it's been peppered in all across the season. Movement threes, um, quick trigger threes, and the, the motion of the shot is consistent. The misses look good a lot of the time. Sometimes it's front rim. Sometimes it's an air ball. Who cares, man? Um, I'm, I'm very convinced that he's made a significant step as a shooter. And I thought it would take longer, but I ultimately was a believer in uh, Scotty's jump shot because his touch has always been just kind of insane. Um, he is like his, his jumper is um, he pushes the ball at the rim. A lot of the times it's, it's different than like the, the lofty jumper that we see. Um, Scotty is a guy who his push shot and his hook shot, is just a guy like sometimes he's throwing a fastball in the rim and you can see that a little bit in his in his jumper but he can aim it you know there's that recess does anybody watch recess way back in the day you know the recess movie with like james woods was the villain and vince lasalle was at the baseball camp and they were saying like hey don't aim it throw it and when he threw it he, it was actually good when he tried to aim the ball. It was bad. I think Scotty intuitively is so good at being able to just take ball, put ball. And we're seeing that kind of transition into his jumper. He has tremendous touch. You know, I've been tracking Scotty's possessions like a ton over the years, an insane amount, too much. And the touch has always stood out. The numbers weren't there for the three point shot. Certainly. Um, but the free throw shooting was pretty good. Um, not like lights out or anything, but it's pretty good. All the touch shots around the rim were really good. His ability to hit them in motion was really good. And I was just wondering, like, if he cleans stuff up in the jumper, does it, uh, you know, does it eventually get going? And I mean, we're there. And he, he worked to put himself there. Since we have big task at hand, a Knicks fan in the chat may ask, what do you think about Jalen Brunson? I love Jalen Brunson, man. Uh, I love guards who can wriggle and worm around in the middle of the floor. His step throughs, the way he can like hang a pivot. A lot of guys lose their pivot. But Jalen Brunson, if he wants to keep his pivot, it's like his foot has been hammered to the ground and he can just hang it and wiggle and move anywhere. Uh, the touch around the rim is insane. He can take body while doing it. I think that they're waiting, or maybe his next progression is like some of the flow playmaking out of the pick and roll. Maybe he, by the end, two, three years from now, maybe we have the pull-up three in the pick and roll going left. And then he can use like an, an in-and-out dribble or like a hesitation to get downhill more often, draw the defense and start making like skip passes to the corner. Maybe that's the next progression for Jalen Brunson. But as far as like a guy who gets to spots in the middle of the floor, can work and wiggle around, get to his mid-range jumper, get to the floater with either hand, he's incredible. Uh, I love his game. I couldn't believe Dallas didn't re-sign him. And I was like, oh, that great signing from the Knicks when they did. Because if you can sign a good player, forget about all the cap stuff. If you can put a good player on your team and Jalen Brunson is like a guy who's constantly trying to punch up towards great. I mean, hell yeah, he's a uh, he's awesome. Uh, Simon uh, says James Woods goaded villain in movies and real life. Yeah, he's he's not a good guy. I don't I can't remember exactly, but I just remember hearing like six different stories. Like there was always something swirling about James Woods. 
being uh, not the best dude. Uh, Giovanni asks, what percentage out of 100 do you think, think Siakam is traded by the deadline? I guess we have to meet our quota of at least, yeah, Siakam has to be, you know, trade talks at least once every single episode. We're here. Um, Pascal, I traded by the deadline, let's say 75%. Uh, I think it's, and if you were asking me, like, if Siakam is back here by the start of next season, I'd say there's, like, maybe, like, a 10% chance of that. I don't, I, like, I think Pascal is probably elsewhere. Um, yeah, it needs to be a segment at this point. Uh, that's what Andre says, <laughs> certainly. The Raptors, though, yeah, what what else is there to talk about in this game? I Like, mostly you just want to lead with Scotty. The Raptors' defense, we talked about the schematic stuff. We talked about the big performances. I guess I would say also there were a couple really nice. We'll keep it on Jakob then. Jakob had that one play where, and I've always loved Chris Bosh, and he he really helped usher in the new era of bigs and their defense. And they did, he, Chris Bosh could always kind of like corral guys out to the sideline, like be really big. He could hedge and recover, or he could blitz in the pick and roll with, with Miami once he went over there. He was super mobile and he could play these really aggressive schemes. And Miami, with all their athletes behind them, would be like in this wild rotation behind him, trying to cover the floor. They've caused a whole bunch of turnovers from this stuff. Great. Jakob had one of those plays today. Um, and Jakob also did a pretty good job against Brunson, who, you know, he's going to snake a lot of stuff to get back on the inside. He's going to try, and he's not oftentimes going to try to get wide on you. But I thought that Jakob did a really good job of setting the edge in the pick and roll because he was playing a little bit higher and then also not giving that lane back to the middle too easy. Like, yeah, they had a couple plays where they there was a lob at the end of it where they got a roll. But I thought Jakob, for the most part, did a good job of patrolling the paint. And this is about like this is four or five games in a row where Jakob has been super strong defensively. The first like what, 12 or 13 games uh, maybe even like 15 games of the season, Jakob was actually a negative defensively in, in the on-off numbers, which isn't everything, but it's notable that the Raptors' defense was performing better with him off the floor. He's been super strong at holding down the paint. And also, I think he has been a decent, not in this game, but he's been a decent pick-and-roll partner for both Pascal and Scotty recently. And he's these guys, they draw so much attention in the paint. Uh, they do such a good job that, you know, Jakob has to form up to their drives and keep showing and maintaining that pacing with them to always be a guy who can show up, hit the hands, finish at the rim. His field goal percentage has been insane this season. I think it's maybe like up towards 78%. Um, big shout out to Mitchell Robinson, who I think still has the record for best field goal percentage in the NBA in the history, maybe or maybe since integration or whatever the hell. Um, I just know Mitchell Robinson in the modern era. He had like 79% or like maybe 78%. Um, Jakob's been great lately. But outside of that, like, you know, Precious had, he was asked to do too much probably in this game. And especially when they're talking about like contain, contest, and, you know, contest twice maybe. I think that Precious struggled defensively tonight and the Raptors need shooting in a game like this you're not getting it from Precious <coughs> sorry everybody for the cough um actually let me grab a little drink of water I've been talking for almost 40 minutes forgive me forgive me um yeah let's talk about Grady he played well today I did watch the game but let me grab a little sip of water first all right so Grady the jumper was going that was pretty fun. That was pretty good, right? Um, had a couple nice drives to the rim. He still, even at the G League level, is getting into trouble putting the ball down and then picking the ball up too quickly when he sees the pass he wants to make. He's telegraphing his passes. And even worse, he's telegraphing passes above the break. What happens when you telegraph a pass above the break? We saw Pascal do it on two occasions tonight. The other team is... They're a hawk on the ball. They're going down the other way. And and Grady still has a propensity for doing that. Um, he's been pretty good at the NBA level this year. Um, his playmaking on the baseline going up court or going baseline to baseline has been pretty good. 
Uh, but yeah, the above the break stuff, even at the G League level, wasn't very good playmaking, which is, you know, three games in. It's not a huge sample, but it's worrying. He shouldn't be making those mistakes. But the good news, he was just canning triples today. He even, he even hit that fastball where I can't remember who it was. Jordan, Schul- Jordan Walsh, pump. Jordan goes up in the air. I can't remember if it was Jordan. Anyway, uh, one of the main players, as in main with the E on the end, not like main as in focal point, and he tried to jump into him and threw a fastball into the rim. That's a good indicator of touch, right? When you can just kind of like throw crap at the rim and it drops in, good indicator of touch. Let's say Kyle Lowry, really great shooter. Everybody remembers when he tried to draw that foul and ended up just throwing that overhead like fastball into the rim against Washington. Good feel indicators, let's say. Um, I thought that Grady, he has the right mentality. I The first conversation I had with Grady, just like one-on-one was great in Vegas. And I, and you know, I, I talked to him a little bit before that, but in Vegas, especially I was like, cause he did struggle in Vegas too. And he just has a really good head on his shoulders. Um, there's always going to be confidence stuff, but he vocalizes that for the people who want to listen. He's like, yeah, it's tough, but I just got to keep shooting and I'm never going to stop shooting. That's, that's the answer right there. Uh, Grady, everything in his game that works and is good is built off of being a really good shooter. If he's not a really good shooter, then Grady's not going to make it in the NBA. Uh, well, if he's a good shooter, he will. If he's not a good or really good shooter, he's not going to cut it. No matter what he does, it's just not going to happen. He isn't like Kyle Anderson who can find other ways to make it work. He has to shoot the ball. So keep shooting to figure it out quickly. So at least the Raptors know when you know. And I think he is a good shooter. And I think he will be a really good shooter. So I'm not too worried about it. Um, I was happy he had a the big game today. He did blow the dunk at the end, though, which that's a little bit too bad. But yeah, I, I, I think uh, Grady has to put on weight. Grady, it's a work in progress, all this kind of stuff. But I love the way he reads the game. I love the way he moves off ball. And I think that he eventually will be a guy who can give you secondary playmaking, uh, lots of cutting, spacing, shooting, and uh, plus rebounding at his position. Defense, I don't know. Who really knows at this point? Uh, Andre says Terrence Ross officially retired. Man, am I this old. Um, if anybody wants kind of like a, I did a, in the summer while I was in New Zealand, actually, I went over some of the the film of Terrence Ross's first, in my mind, like the first big game that helped illustrate what type of player he was going to be. It was the game against Houston. And so there's like a film breakdown and kind of like a retrospective on Terrence Ross on RaptorsRepublic.com. If anybody who's feeling nostalgic for T. Ross wants to go watch that, maybe even better than doing that, though, is just watching him go for 50 plus against the Clippers because that was an insane play. Um, Yeah, Giovanni, maybe this will be like one of the last one or two questions, says, do you think the Raptors make the playoffs this year? Hmm. I think they'll be in the play-in. I don't think they'll end up in the top eight. And if they do, hell yeah. There's there's some stuff happening offensively that's progressing. I know tonight was really bad, but they shot 18% from three. That's They're a bad three-point shooting team, and that was even like twice as bad as what they usually shoot. So this isn't just regular bad. This is horrific. And I know that's the middle. They've had games where they shot 53% from three. They've had games where they shoot like 26. But you get my meaning. This was particularly bad. There's some stuff that's moving in the right direction offensively as far as process. Uh, defensively, they're losing the plot a little bit. That's disappointing. And, you know, on a night like tonight, the outcome is probably worse than what they deserve. Just some really hot shooting. But they also gave up a lot of wide open looks in this game. So kind of kind of tough to make it work in that regard. But yeah, that's kind of how I feel about that. There's a possibility they could be a playoff team. I wouldn't write it off, but uh, I wouldn't think I wouldn't think it's a strong likelihood. Um, Douglas Nagira, coaching and motivation, asks: Would you be able to compare current bench production with historical stats? I wonder where this Raptors bench would rank. Um, I don't typically do like the stat head comparisons. Uh, Kirthka, 
and Blake Murphy are both really good. Keeks might put it out on Twitter. Uh, Blake might write an article about it. Even Lewis might do something like that. Um, if somebody who's really good to badger to do stuff for you is Fandy R. Barahaney, uh, just S. Barahaney on Twitter. He probably would go try and look that up for you if you if you badger him about it. Me right now, um, I, I'm not really good at compiling like the historical stats. If it's the Raptors just like year to year, then I could probably go poke around and take a look. But uh, the shorthand for all of this is that the Raptors bench is not very productive. The Raptors bench lacks diversity in skill sets, and the Raptors bench is not uh, properly equipped to help elevate their starters. And I am impressed every time that the Raptors, with bench units and transitional lineups, are able to win minutes, and it's a credit to Pascal and OG and scotty when they're able to lift those units to winning minutes because it's tough um sometimes like malachi has had like maybe like five or six games this year where you look at it and that's only a quarter of the game so far where you look at it and you say that was a nice game he's maybe had like a handful more that are passable and then other ones like tonight it's 11 minutes it's nothing it's just like nothing from malachi chris boucher i think on average even including gary has been the most impactful bench player Chris Boucher can play on a lot of benches across the NBA it wouldn't surprise me if at the trade deadline he gets picked up by somebody that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest um, a contender looking for like more pop in the front court um, you can roll the dice on Chris Boucher in like a playoff series um, like maybe it's threes over a short stretch maybe the length helps you um, you know with some defensive playmaking like maybe he helps complete you know this lineup you like to run something like that it might be worth throwing like a second or two at the Raptors for him. Uh, something something to to keep in mind. Um, I think he's been the best bench player. Precious has had a handful of games where he's looked super impressive on the defensive end, and he's had a couple less where he's looked helpful and impressive offensively. But that's a lot of that is dependent on how quick he's reading the floor and he's hitting that three. Because if Precious hits threes, then everything is gravy, truly. Um, then you can work through some of the faux pas defensively. Then you can work through some of the faux pas offensively. But uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Jalen, yeah. Gary has been uncharacteristically bad shooting the ball, I think. Some of the steps he's made as you know a guy putting the ball down with a couple extra dribbles to get to let's say the push shot it's uh it's not been there this season and it was last season it helps sustain him through a shooting slump to start the year and uh yeah he, the defense has also been hit or miss as well and the just the playmaking isn't nearly good enough he has opportunities with his gravity especially in the dribble handoff stuff especially in the weak side stuff or sorry not weak side the empty side stuff to hit rollers to help create as a playmaker he misses a lot of reads. So it's been like a very, mm, you know, ho-hum year uh, for for Gary. But yeah, the Raptors bench as a whole has not been able to give them a ton. And Otto Porter Jr., who has typically given them pretty good looks, is not getting a ton of minutes. Uh, Temple, Thad Young. Temple donated to the teachers union, I believe. So he is goated, in my opinion. Big shout out to Garrett Temple and Thad Young is uh, like, I like Thad and no offense, but the Raptors, they confirmed his contract for this season because for a looming trade, probably to, for his salary to be tradable. Um, he's not going to factor into games really. So yeah, the bench is in a confusing position. Uh, and I think that, I don't blame people for having reasonably higher expectations for this bench than what they've been performing. And guys just haven't performed that well. That's God's honest truth. My honest truth. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking to God's honest truth. I don't know how to say these things. Uh, regardless. Yeah. I just think they've been disappointing. Um, don't mean to be to, to be going too hard on these guys, but yeah, the Raptors lose against the Knicks tough game. They lose, they do a lot of things right in this game, truthfully, but they lose because they shot six of 32 from three. And the Knicks shot 16 of 36. You can't 
that's 30 points. You're not getting around it. Um, Andre says, miss Kojo and Patterson. That's how bad the bench has been. I also wrote a retrospective about Patrick Patterson, kind of how awesome he was for the Raptors. Um, if you, anybody wants to go read it, they're, they're like cool little film breakdowns, um, kind of like the work I do for the current Raptors and stuff like that. But just taking a look back at players from a Raptors team that I wasn't able to cover at that time. Anyway, I feel like that's a podcast. 50 minutes on this game where they shoot 18% from three. Good Lord, man. Uh, <laughs> way too long. Um, but we're all talking hoops here anyway. Um, to all the people who watched, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the little diagram. I know people on the last episode, someone was giving me shit for it, <laughs> for talking about it. But a lot of people said they liked it. So I just wanted to lean in that for about three or four minutes. So if you did like it, uh, feel free to comment down below. Um, make sure to like the video before you get out of here. It's free. It helps the channel. It's all good. It helps me out. Um, if you're interested a way you can support myself and Raptors Republic uh, as it jumpstarts writers and helps diversify the writing industry as it helps pay writers who are trying to break into it. Um, we have a subscription model. You can go to RaptorsRepublic.com and subscribe. It does cost money, but uh, I am a person who I pay for work I enjoy and you don't have to pay for mine. But if you do, I thank you very much. Uh, and the free stuff, subscribe to the YouTube channel like the video and hell yeah thanks thanks for tuning in for the people listening on their walks walking the dog early morning stuff coffee late at night whatever it is thanks for tuning in with me um yeah coco thanks for helping us feel better it's uh it's communal that's that's kind of what we're trying to achieve it's disparate it's uh you know it's everywhere of course but it's uh it's communal it's like community based thing to it so it's cool you guys are always insightful and and increasingly more kind. It was like there was a troll. There was like a troll section for like a week where uh, there was an influx of people who were really nasty about players and really nasty to me. Which I'm glad that era uh, quickly, quickly uh, we we left it behind. So thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, you've been the best. Okay, all right. Where they got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. We got a podcast.